0: All right, everybody, welcome to the Eternal Leadership Podcast. Today, we have Mike Mooney on. Mike, welcome. Hey, thanks, John. Pleasure to be with you today. Thank you. Man, it's like 25 minutes past the hour. Mike and I started, we had the most amazing, like, pre-interview conversation, didn't we? (laughs) Mike and I are just rocking it. So you guys are going to love getting to know Mike. Let me just share a little background, Mike. 25 years, you were in the world of motorsports, and I shared with you a story that after my accident, somebody who you worked with, Jack Roush from Roush Racing, if anybody is in the motorsports world, you probably know that name. The guy's, I'm guessing he's a billionaire. I don't know. He's crazy <laughs> successful. But he heard about my accident and reached out to me to let me know that something similar had happened to him. He didn't know me from anybody. And you know what? There's just some amazing people that are in this world. And you went from motorsports, you became a senior executive. You've also done something really interesting. You manage just numerous kind of reputation and crisis situations for Fortune 500 companies. And we also, you know, this pre-conversation really just talked about your faith and all these places you're coming from, but you wrote this book called Reputation Shift. And it's about lessons. You call it from the pit road to the boardroom. And now you speak and consult and do some things. But you know, as I as everybody's, I, I looked at this book. I'm like, wow, this would be somebody I'd love to get to know. This would be a fascinating conversation with Mike. So here's what I'd like to do, Mike. Is you know, before we dig into some questions that I have, is just share a little bit about kind of who you are. You know, in your journey along the way that kind of led to what you're doing now.
1: Yeah. And again, John, thank you. I'll say it now and hopefully I'll say it again at the end as well. But thank you for the work you're doing, you know, to really inspire leaders and shift their mindsets and how they're looking at life. But more importantly, uh, the impact they can have on the people around them, not just those in, in their work, but also in their community, families, friend circle. So thank yeah, you. Thanks, for the, Mike. Appreciate that. Uh, people doing that. Yeah. So, you know, you hit it on the head earlier with, with my background. I've been in motorsports for 25 years. And um, something I sort of fell into out of college. I was a kid from Long Island, New York. Wasn't really a big racing person, but uh, ended up in college in North Carolina. and uh, Wait, got I work. thought
0: Long Island was like the head of NASCAR. No? <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know, there was a lot of racing back in the 60s, <laughs> for sure, but not so much. Okay. Not so much. But, you know, I got into the communication side of, of the world and was fortunate to work with some amazing people, uh, amazing brands like 3M, Tylenol, Mercedes Benz, uh, Walmart, uh, just to name a few, Eli Lilly, you know, a few others. So, really, it was about how do I help people tell stories? How do I package up what they're doing to make it relevant to. Racing fans, because these companies were spending exorbitant amounts of money to connect with the target audience, right? To get their brand, uh, you know, better, you know, known or maybe help sell more products, whatever that might be. Yeah. So, really, my focus had been around how do we bring programs to life through drivers and, and race teams with the underpinning of reputation, right? Because it's all about reputation, the value of reputation, the authenticity that reputation brings, and you know, through the years, I loved what I was doing. And um, getting to to what got me where I am today, it was July eighth, two 2006. And I was laying in my bed. And the words came out of my mouth. I give up. I just give up. I can't do this. And to give you the backstory on that, about three years earlier, I was hired to run the marketing communications for Nextel when they took over the series sponsorship for Winston. When it used to be the Winston Cup, then Nextel came in and it became the Winston Cup. So uh, Nextel Cup, excuse me. So I was hired, went in there at the time, the largest sports sponsorship in history, $750 million. And uh, man, we, we built this program. And it was absolutely for me in my career, it was the pinnacle of everything that I had wanted to do. And we, a few years later, had merged with Sprint. And at that point in the merger, I was told that my position was no longer necessary. So thank you for the work. Thank you for the years away from home, the sacrifice. And as um, I'll make a a sweeping generalization, as a typical guy, I valued my worth on the commas in my paycheck, the title on my business card, the influence and sway that I had with people in the industry, on my teams and the company. Right. And now you're not necessary anymore. Thank you very much. I didn't know what to do next. And for a couple of months, I was really in a very uh, dark place trying to figure it out. And that led me to that date in July when I just looked up and said, you know, God, I give up. I'm giving it to you. I don't know what else to do. You know, everything I try to do is like trying to like cup sand. Every time I try to form something, it more slips through my, my, my fingers and it's not working the way I want it to work. So I said, Look, if you would just, just tell me, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. I promise. And John, at that moment, laying there, I had one word hit me right here in the center of my chest speak. And I said, oh, okay, great. Let me ask the question again, Lord. If you could, you know, tell
0: me, you know
1: <laughs> another sentence or two what to speak about, I would really appreciate that. But that was it. So, uh, you know, I went, went to bed. Next morning, I get up around nine o'clock, my phone rings and there was a good friend of mine I had lunch with the day before. And he says to me, Mike, I don't know why I didn't think about it yesterday at lunch, but last night when I was getting ready for bed, you know, it hit me that our organization that I'm a part of, we need a speaker for next month's meeting. Would you come in and speak? And I kind of looked up with a smile, I'm like, well, I can't say no. And I said, sure, man, what what do you want me to talk about? And he said, whatever you want, It's 20 minutes, stage is yours. So this is 2006, Uh, Facebook was about six months old, Twitter wasn't even around yet, social media wasn't even on anyone's radar other than forums and message boards. Right, where people could share thoughts and ideas there. But through the crisis situations I had run for the past, you know, seven, eight years prior, I realized there was a radical shift happening in how companies had to manage their reputations because it was no longer a monologue of brand to consumer. Suddenly it was consumer to consumer sharing their experiences in ways that were going way beyond, way beyond just the water cooler at work. Right. right? So I went and I did a talk about that. And out of that came a couple of keynotes and more keynotes and I'm like, okay, God, this is, I guess this is it. I'm on my way. And, you know, in prayer, you know, I, I realized I, it wasn't time yet. It wasn't time. And over the next 12 years, I continued to work in more crisis situations, put this, you know, training into action. I began writing a book. I began writing material. And sometimes my wife would say, honey, you're working on these presentations and these talks and you're not giving them to anybody. <laughs> you do <knew> it. <laughs> I said, baby, I don't know. I just know I need to be doing this right now. I really don't know, but I just have to keep doing it. So uh, I did over the last 12 years. I kept at it. And, um, you know, about two years ago, I decided it's time to write this book that had been in my heart, which is Reputation Shift. And, you know, after, as I think anyone who's written the book or tried to take on that type of a project, you tend to make more excuses for why you can't do it instead of, you know, how and why you should. And I kept coming back to, I don't have enough time. I'm traveling. I'm going to 25 races a year. My kids are young and active. And finally I said enough, you know, so I made the time where I would get up, I would write from 5am to 6, 15am, seven days a week. And I did it for seven months consistently. And that's where the book came from. So, you know, I uh, got to uh, last fall, John, and I was getting ready to wrap up my 25th year in the sport, I had done amazing work with great people. And I said, It's time for this change and to listen and be faithful. And the uh, Lord said, This is the right time. This is the right time. Will you walk with me? And here we are.
0: <laughs> yeah. And you shared something that I'd love for you to expand on, too. And when I'd asked you earlier, you know, what are some of the challenges and struggles you had? And, and, Mike, you said ego, but you said it in a way as, you know, this thought. or was so, like, you know, hey, where's everybody that said they'd help me, right? I helped them when they needed it. And I've been there, right? Sometimes when you're in these transition times and these pivot points, a lot of that, our identity has been, you know, all of a sudden it's just rocked, right? Our community has shifted and changed. Share with us, you know, what that time was like and how you moved through that.
1: Yeah, and that's a great point. I'm glad you brought it up because it is, in my opinion, in transitions, one of the biggest things I had to deal with, but also one that I, I had no idea would even pop up. And it really is this moment when you are out there on your own. And before you're doing that, you're telling people, hey, you know, I'm thinking of doing this or, hey, this is where my heart's leading me. And there are folks going, oh, man, that's great. You know, go for it. And I'm here to help you, whatever you need to do and wherever I can be of value and fantastic thank you and people making commitments even saying hey i'll help you in this transition to you know do some work and keep the cash flow going and keep the lights on for you just to help however you can it's like man this is fantastic this is great and then i jump out and john i mean i look to my left and i look to my right and I'm like, where are these people now <laughs> Where are these people, you know? And it wasn't so much, again, that they said that they were going to be helping. As much as that was great, but a lot of those were folks that I helped that over the years were looking for support, direction, work in many cases. And I was there to to help them. And I found myself going down a really dark and negative rabbit hole, right, of energy where it was really about I became a victim. I really took on this victim's mindset of – I'm not able to do what I'm, what I want to do because people aren't helping me. And so you're probably
0: feeling entitled, resentful, bitter, all right? of that. Yeah,
1: all of that, and then take the volume on that, John, and then crank it to you know <laughs> eleven. Because right? it doesn't feel fair. It doesn't. And I'm, you're fighting for my life right now, guys. I'm fighting for my life. You know, and um, I just realized that I can't. First of all, sit across the table from my wife and children when we're eating, you know, ramen noodles saying, hey, dad wasn't able to make this work because people didn't help me. And I found that the energy I was spending on that negative dark space was never going to get me to A, where I wanted to be, nor is it serving the purpose that I knew that I was called to move toward. I really had to shift away and in my mind, give grace to an extent. And I don't mean to say give grace from like a almighty on high, but really realize that Look, I think people have good intentions, and I think that people do in their hearts want to help. But I also know that we get fooled up on our own hamster wheels. We've got our own things going on in our lives that sometimes take us away from the things that we said we were going to do. And for that, I said, you know what? I understand that I've been there. So if I'm going to do this and move forward, I can't spend my time in this negative place. I have to be looking at a more positive light of Who can I be an encouragement to? Who can I be helping? Who can I be connecting with? Because those are the places that I was getting the most joy. And quite honestly, people were being – my message was resonating more with them. And they were like, wow, how can I help you? So it was really to shift their mindset from from a victim to really how can I be a catalyst.
0: Yeah, almost from like you know a victim to a victor, right? Right. You know, the other thing I realized too is some of these people who've really – I have allowed to, right? I think part of that shift in mindset is taking personal responsibility for how we think about a situation, how we're allowing ourselves to feel about a situation, right? If I'm sitting there, if I'm laying there at night and I'm obsessing over what somebody did or didn't do or what they said or didn't say, guess what? They're probably sleeping just fine (laughs) because they have no idea how it affected me. You know what? They might be going through their own stuff wearing this mask and... Just like I've been to many times, right? From the outsider, it looks like, hey, things are going awesome with Ramstead's life. But if you pull back the covers, you'd be like, oh my gosh, what a mess. Right? And so we don't know. But like you said, right? We have a choice. Like, you know what? My friend Roy Vaden says, you know what? If you want to build a successful life, uh, whatever you want to do, the rent is due every day. Right? You know what? I think the rent part of that rent is owning how we think and feel and act in a situation. That's what you talked about. It's about developing this growth mindset. And I think, you know, as I went through my accident, we talked a little bit about, you know, what that took, right? I had to make a choice every single day to realize, you know what? I'm not a victim here. Why did this happen to me? I can't do what I used to do. I'm always in pain. I had to, and I had the help of some great people, and especially my wife saying, you know what? God has a plan. I'm going to completely trust him. There is something amazing that's coming up down the road, even though I have no idea what it is. I just have to trust that I'm actually moving toward something really cool. And that's what's happened today. But that's not how it sure felt, like I got to tell you, you know, four or five years ago.
1: Well, well John, I mean, I'll tell you, I am about a year into this right now. And, and you know, I can vividly remember early on when I was trying to make sense of this, you know, And how I was going to pull this together because my plan seemed to, you know, I had a vision of where it was going, but things weren't going the way I had planned. Right. (laughs) You know, I was trying to plan it, you know, so it's a bit of that surrender as well to realize that, you know, it's not necessarily my plan. I have a role to play. And every day I've got to remind myself of what that that role is. But I can remember, you know, early on. Having dinner with my wife one night, she's like, Hey, come on, eat. You know, you're not eating as much as I am. You're making me feel like I'm eating all the food. And I'm like, No, no, I'm fine. I'm fine. I had a late lunch. When the reality is, John, I hadn't slept in almost three days. Mm. I was trying to figure out how am I going to put this together? What model do I have to make? How am I going to, you know, really bring this to life? And realizing, too, that even though you're stepping into faith and you're being faithful, you still have to show up, like you said, every day and do your part. You know, there's there's a phrase that I love. It's, I've seen. God move mountains, but I still have to pick up my shovel every day and dig.
0: Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Now, you know, along that line, you know, as you went through this whole process and this transition, because I'm in the middle of, you know, working at writing a book and for you to get up every day and write seven days a week from five to six fifteen, my sense is that Mike, you really tapped into a calling, a purpose, a passion that has landed on this kind of this area of reputation shift. What is it about reputation that just lit you up?
1: Yeah, you know, it's a couple of things, John. First off, the majority of the work that I handled in motorsports over the years around crisis and reputation, 98% of it was all reactive. It was all after the fact. And having been a student of reputation and crisis over those years, I found that in most times that if you were to dissect what happened, and how we got here, there was this moment in time where we're at a crossroads between values and decisions. Mm. And at that moment, someone had a choice to make. And when we ended up in that crisis situation, it was generally because someone walked away from the values and just made a decision based perhaps on business or short-term gain or whatever it might have been. But it really sparked a question in me that said, well, how much is your reputation worth? And why do we wait until after the fact To put the value on it. So generally, you know, gentlemen, I'm going to ask you this question because I love flipping it around, especially when I'm being interviewed, is if I were to ask you right now to put a dollar value on your reputation, what is that dollar amount?
0: Well, here's my answer. It's actually almost priceless because if I did something to ruin my reputation, if I had a moral failure or was unethical or cheated somebody – everything that i've built because of how i've built it and the foundation that i've built it on it would all be wiped out so yeah my reputation the way i kind of view it is right it's the external perception of who i am right and if that truly flows from a place of integrity of really who i am and what i do and how i do things right then, you know then i think you have something that really can you know withstand internal and external storms that come along. But yeah, so I think our reputations and our, man, they're probably invaluable. (laughs) Yeah, and when
1: I ask that question, that's one of the answers I get. You know, typically I'll get, these are from like the money people, the the facts and figures. Well, my reputation is worth 10x my current salary. I say, well, okay, you know, that's a a way of quantifying it. But I still believe that you're undervaluing it. Another is, to your point, it's priceless. It's absolutely priceless. And the third is, well, you know, I really haven't thought of it that way. I never really put it in that frame of thinking to really look at it. And that's the challenge, John, is that more often than not, we don't put the value on it until after we paid the price. So that's yeah. what led me to thinking of how do we shift mindset and be more proactive, right, to your point, so that when the storms do come along in our life, and trust me, they will. You know, crisis is never a question of if. It's only a matter of when. The only real question is, are you prepared? And there are things that we can be doing as individuals and leaders and people that for our own personal sake or if you're leading an organization that can actually build protection around your reputation and your brand so that when that storm hits, you're better prepared and better equipped to be able to weather it, especially in this day and age when we are more connected than any other time in human history and how one mouse click, one comment can start spreading a viral you know, digital tsunami that will pick up speed at a rate that people just right now aren't equipped to handle. And we see those examples every day in the media with leaders or celebrity entertainers or the local business level or politicians. We're seeing it happen now.
0: Yeah, and, we've seen it recently with some pastors of some large churches. So, you know, uh, you said something earlier that was really interesting because when I was a Navy pilot and we'd have an accident, we would do an investigation. And you know what, we had so many amazing policies, procedures, quality assurance checks, and I'm sure it's similar in racing, but you go back and you start investigating, you're like, wow, this should have never happened, and this should have never happened. And you said there's this point where a decision, usually you can kind of trace it back to where maybe where it starts this process that led to something catastrophic, of this decision point between something I have to do and my value system.
2: We're going to take a quick break to hear a word from our sponsor. You've heard that old Harry Truman quote, leaders are readers, right? Well, John and I are big fans of a service that we subscribed to last year called Blinkist. Blinkist provides summaries of many of the top books on the market. Each book summary is divided into short blinks, hence the name Blinkist, and most of the summaries you can read in less than 15 minutes. If you're interested in leadership, check out the seven habits of highly effective people or if you want to brush up on your marketing how about purple cow by seth godin check out a blink seven day free trial so you can have access to the entire library of more than 2500 summaries their app is well designed and you can export the summaries to your kindle or you can do what i do is listen to the audio while i'm reading the blinks before bed to get that extra reinforcement of those ideas If that sounds interesting to you, you can find our affiliate link embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash blink. That's eternalleadership.com slash Blink. By using that link, it's an easy way for you to help support the costs associated with producing this show. I love Blinkist. John loves Blinkist. And we are confident that most of our listeners will love them too. Like I said, the link is embedded in the summary of this MP3 or go to eternalleadership.com slash Blink. Thanks. I was thinking of,
0: I love that casting crown song. It's called a slow fade, right? You know, a marriage doesn't die in a day. A reputation doesn't die in a day. It's not something big and all of a sudden we just did something really stupid today that blew us up with the nuclear bomb. This is usually a whole bunch of things. So. Culmination. This culmination. So going back, right? What are, and I know you talk a lot about that, you know, a number of different things in your book. But what are some of those things that we can do that we almost turn into habits That allow us to actually start thinking, acting, doing from a place of our core values, our core beliefs, our true identity. So we stay in alignment with, you know, that reputation that not only that we want to project to the world, but also from that place of that character that was, you know, that was created in us, you know, before we were even here.
1: Now, that's a great question because it gets to the heart of what this is about. And I'll start with a bit of an analogy that I think you'll like given your aviation background. But in the book, I write about this one degree of behavior. Mm. And if you took a compass and you took your, and you had your heading on due north, and you were just one degree off as you started off your journey, if you went one mile with one degree off of that heading, you'd end up about 90 feet or so off of your course. All right. Now, at 90 feet, that's enough space that you can, course, correct. You could get back on the path that's heading due north of where you want to go. If you were to continue that one degree and you flew from um, I'm here in Charlotte, North Carolina, and you flew to Los Angeles to LAX and you continued one degree off. And when you landed, you'd be more than 50 miles off course and not even the same zip code, not even in the same area. From where you want to be, with I'm wondering, probably where the heck am I being? Watched?
0: You might not even have gas to enough gas at that point to get to your original the airport you're trying to get to.
1: You're exactly right. Even if you realize you weren't in the right place, how am I going to get back over there? Right, yeah. you crash and burn on the way. I love that because to me it speaks to the the importance of values guiding us and how, like you said, it's not just one catastrophic incident that sets a reputation, and more importantly a legacy, right? You got to think about the legacy in this, especially around leaders, but it is continuing that one degree off over a long period of time. So again, where's your due north? And your due north is back at some of your values. So if you're not in touch, if you don't know, if someone some were to say, man, what are your values? And you can't answer that, or you stutter or have to think about it, then you are not clearly in touch with what matters to you and what you're living out. That authenticity that matters, and and people's interactions with you. You mentioned before the um, definition of a reputation, and you're saying you know what it says about you. My mine's a, a little different, but a simple one too, which is basically yeah. your reputation speaks for you when you aren't there to speak for yourself.
0: Yeah, so it's what people say about you when you're not in the room. Like, hey, you know, hey, what do you think of Mike? Oh, Mike is boom. Hey, that's your right. reputation to that person. Right. Exactly. He's awesome. That dude's wired tight. He's or yeah, you know, he's okay. He works hard when he has to. Right. Hell, you know, he cuts corners here and there. Oh, okay. Yeah.
1: Which could be the difference between uh, potentially a job offer. Yep. He's a business. Right. And if you think of it from a business standpoint, 65% of all new business comes through referrals. Well, referrals are 100% based on your reputation. There is is impacts from a business standpoint along the way. Now, you asked the other question, what can people do to to start? And it's exactly what I mentioned before, start with your values. You have to be grounded in what matters to you. And that doesn't mean having a list of 25 different values. I mean, there are some core ones that matter to you that you're going to be living out on a daily basis. From there, I'd recommend one of the strategies that I I roll out in, in the book is this idea of having a spotter. OK, now, are you, you know, I don't know, if you're familiar with spotters on the race teams, are you familiar with them?
0: I would guess it's similar to a concept like your wingman, right? Exactly. So people often ask me, who has the most important job on
1: the race team? You know, it's got to be the driver. It's got to be the pit crew. It's got to be the crew chief. And I say, actually, no, those are all important roles. But the reality is that the most important job is the spotter. That's the person who's standing way up on top of the racetrack facility with a pair of binoculars and the radio communication to the driver. And as the driver is solely focused on going 200-plus miles an hour down the racetrack, right, with cars going you know, inches away from them, beating and banging on each other, trying to stay in the race, focusing on what's happening right there in front, the spotter is that person who is looking in their blind spots, the person who's oh, telling wow. what's around them. So as, as a wreck is unfolding – You know, in front of them, they're letting them know, go high, go low, get on the brakes, right? They're helping guide them through these crucial, critical times that could take them out of the race. So my question to leaders is to figure out who are your spotters? Who are the people in your life that are going to speak truth into you, to tell you what you need to hear, not just what you want to hear, to keep you in that race, to keep you moving forward? So identify those spotters, because they're the ones who are going to keep you
0: Forward. Well, and I, I love that you talked about from the race analogy, blind spots, because, you know, many of us, just how we do things, how we say things, how we show up. A lot of us, I know I do, right. We have these blind spots there. You know, it's how other people experience us. That's not yeah. intentional, but it's coming across. And, you know, some of us might say, well, that's kind of their problem. If they're experiencing me that way, well, not really. If you truly actually care about that person, you know, one of the things we say around here is that, you know, I'll ask this when I'm working with the team Do you think all personal feedback is relevant? And I usually get about 60% of the room says no and 40% say yes. And I always have people, you know, share your opinions before I share mine. But what we almost always land on is, you know what? It is relevant to the relationship you have with that person. Now, it doesn't mean that that input is actionable. But guess what? If there's people that are maybe. You know, this is part of your reputation that, you know what, when you're stressed out, you get very controlling or manipulative. Maybe it's because when I'm stressed out, I think I'm trying to be very decisive and it's helpful for the team. So I have a very different, perspe- you know, perception of what that reputation might be, but I don't realize the and, actual accuracy of it.
1: And I said an interesting um, quote I, I you jogged in, in my memory is, uh, I believe it was uh, – Stephen Covey, who said, you know, we often judge others by their behaviors Mm. and ourselves by our intentions.
0: Yes. All the time. Right. Because I'm always going to give myself the grace. Like, well, I didn't mean to offend Mike. Right. Right. But then I see Mike do that. I'm like, wow, that guy, you know what? He's difficult or he's a jerk or right. So, yeah, we always impugn somebody with motives. We always give ourselves the benefit of the doubt. Yeah.
1: And we see it every day. We experience it every day and we do it. We, we do it ourselves, you know. It, it's an interesting, again, mind shift in, in how you're looking at it. And, and I'd also encourage people uh, who are thinking about this idea of, of personal reputation management is, is to not get too hung up in just the minutia of that moment. While it's important to be present and it's important to be living our values out authentically and consistently, we also have to keep in mind that one of the best protectors for reputation is our body of work over time. And we're seeing that, you know, play out in the news media where again, you know, people are being impugned in, in based on activities and actions from 25 years ago. And I don't know about you, John, but I'd like to believe that the person I was 25 years ago is a different person than who I am
0: today because I... The I've, person I was 25 years ago was an idiot. Right? <laughs> I don't want to be judged on that guy. <laughs> right? Let's just right? be real. So, so that, that's where,
1: you know, it's important that you're being mindful even at at an early age i I try to get out and i talk to to young leaders you know and college students and talk to them about this power of the body of work over time and i also talk to leaders who are a little more seasoned in in age and their career path to say that you know what are you doing now that's helping your body of work and then building the legacy as you begin to transition to your next chapter
0: so when you talk about reputation management because I could see somebody who's maybe almost trying to maybe manipulate or create a perception that might not actually, you know, be accurate to serve some kind of means, right? To either sell more or, or you know, create opportunities for me as an individual. What are your thoughts on how to do that authentically?
1: Well, you can smell that, right? I mean, that's yeah. the past, the sniff test. And I think we've all can think about people, if you would take a moment and think uh, across your career and life people who are almost like chameleons in different situations where it's like, wait a minute, they're acting one way here at church or at a civic group. But when you get in the office, it's a different way. So who are you? I have no idea who you are in these different situations because, you know, you're sort of manipulating the people and the message to satisfy and serve your goal. The flip on that is that if you are building a reputation, from your values that are authentic to you that make you unique in a way that's sharing your gifts and your talents or if you want to call them your, your dna your divine natural abilities if you're doing it in a way that is truly yours consistently there's zero manipulation in that that is you trying to elevate yourself to a different level of interaction and engagement with people that's you that's sharing truly you
0: I think that's such a great answer, right? It's about really just being authentic, being open to feedback, letting spotters in your life to share with you, you know, some of those blind spots to get better. And how about this? though? I'd like to maybe touch on this, uh, you know, as we're kind of wrapping up, but let's just say that maybe I had a couple missteps. Maybe those first couple small ones, I, you've seen them from the small ones or this culmination where everything's come together and now it's become like a crisis. But you know, what are some things we can do to actually kind of get back in alignment and recover?
1: Yeah, so what I'm going to do is I'll take this from the, the personal standpoint because I can take it from the business. If something were to happen, how do you go through those different steps, right? But I think personally, those can hurt the most, right? Because it feels like a personal attack upon yourself. I would say that first and foremost is that you have to identify who this is coming from, right? Who is it that's saying these things? Is it somebody who I know and knows me? Or is it someone that uh, in today's world of social media, they don't know who I am. I don't know who they are. They just happen to be, you know, taking a shot across the bow. If it's someone who you know, and knows you, then you need to go have a conversation with that person. You need to talk, figure out what is it that's gone wrong? Because more often than not, uh, as we mentioned before, right, the difference between intention and behavior, there was some breakdown in communication of, of how something came across. And the quicker that you can Get to that conversation the better. When you're in a situation like this, John, and there's um, you know, a negative impact around or something's brewing around your reputation, you don't have the luxury of time. You don't because the bad news travels much faster than the good news. So you got to get in there fast. Find out what happened. And listen, if you did something wrong, please, please take a deep breath. Have the courage and own it. Own it. People are willing to forgive people who will own their actions and their behaviors, who will come out and say, you know what? I did that. I, I did that. that. And I was wrong.
0: I, was wrong. Right? I apologize. And you can hold me accountable for better behavior. Yes,
1: absolutely. No. In fact, you know, that could be an opportunity to say, hey, you know what? Would you consider being my spotter? Because this is an area of my life that is really important. This relationship matters to me so much that you had the courage to say something to me about this. I need your help. You know, the other part is recognizing that there is a proper apology process here. A lot of times people say, hey, I'm sorry for doing that, you know, and I'll do my best not to have it happen again. And they move on. But the reality is that they've left out an important part in it that we all look for when someone apologizes. So, you know, typically you start with, hey, I'm sorry that, you know, I did this. The part that people typically leave out is I recognize that it made this impact on you right? It's the fact that you recognize your actions had an impact on that individual. You were being heard. The person who's having the issue, you heard me. You heard how it made me feel. You heard the impact it had on me and you were acknowledging and owning it and then apologizing. And the third part is essentially saying, you know what, you have my word. I'm doing everything in my power for this not to happen again. And if you wouldn't mind being a spotter and being on this journey with me, I would, I would love that, you know? Yeah. So really at a high level is recognizing where is it coming from This is someone that knows me getting in there, understanding what went wrong and owning whatever it might be. Don't try to rationalize it. I mean, I think that's like the third survival skill we have, you know, fight, flight and rationalization, (laughs) you know, and uh, don't rationalize it. Just own whatever it is and apologize and get on with it. And then with your actions consistently over time, the people will see that you really didn't mean what you said. You can't go back next week and do the same thing again. You can't have that whack-a-mole game going on where, oh, yeah, here here goes Mike again. You know, he told me it wasn't going to happen. He said he wouldn't be late to the meeting. He said he wouldn't, you know, slop off that, that deadline. But here we are again. He's done it one more time. Yeah. That's where your credibility is shot and you are not going to repair your reputation.
0: Yeah. Or that creates a new reputation or enforces a reputation that maybe you don't want to have that's that, not serving you well.
1: Exactly. It will validate what the people were saying. See, I told you that's how John was. I told yep. you that's how Mike was.
0: Be? yep that could be a reputation right yeah he's gonna apologize and he'll be good for a couple of weeks and then guess what he'll forget so. I right back out
1: of that yeah and again that's that whack-a-mole scenario yeah
0: that does make it hard you know when you feel like you're apologizing for the same thing over and over and over man you got to get to a place man you got to own it you got to get some help you got to get a coach you got to go to somebody maybe even those people and say man this is you know what we've had this conversation three four times it's killing me clearly i'm having a problem with this i don't know how to change it i'd love your help i love your term right could you be a spotter could you be a wingman you know if you really see that you know that change is not going to occur till that pain of staying the same and exceeds that pain of change right Absolutely. so when you get to that point don't be afraid to reach out into your circle of friends, communities, coworkers, and just say, Man, I need some help. I want to get gooder at this. And I don't know how. Clearly I don't know how. So uh
1: people love to help. In human nature, John, is that we all get to that point. Everyone does. But what do we end up doing when we get there? We will make excuses and reasons for why people can't. Mm-hmm. They're too busy. I know they're busy. They've got enough problems to deal with. They don't need one more. Probably don't have enough time to handle this with me. I don't want to get that naked with them, Mm -hmm. you know, and have to bear. Like you said before, you look past the mask because we put this armor on every single day. And as heavy as it is, we continue to wear it. But I don't want to let anyone pass there to see my human mess versus my humanness, right? And if you flip that for a second, though— And even though we just met and, uh, you know, I hope this isn't presumptuous, but I'll tell you right now, if you called me, John said, Mike, I need some help. I need your help thinking through this issue. I need your help thinking through how to get a new connection, whatever it is. I said, John, I'd be happy to help you. I'd be happy to help you. What can I do?
0: Yeah, and vice versa.
1: But the thing is, in our own heads, we don't think that, you know, I would say, well, John doesn't have time because he's so busy. He's building his practice, doing his thing. But you'd be willing to do it in a heartbeat, right? We just don't ask. And it was a good uh, friend of mine, Bob O'dean, uh who wrote a book called The Power of Who. Mm. And uh, he, that's where I learned that lesson. And he, we were talking about that is that like you have to ask because people are willing to help. Just ask. Pick up the phone.
0: Yeah, I remember I saw John w- Maxwell doing a keynote speech once and he just reached out in the audience. He's like, hey, I need a red tie. Hey, I need a diamond earring. Does anybody have a Rolex, right? He had this table full of stuff. He goes, how did I get all this stuff? That's great. He's like, I just asked. He goes, you guys need to ask (laughs) if you would help me. Can you make me better? Can you introduce me to somebody? Can you, you know, what do you recommend if I want to hit this goal? What would you do? You've accomplished that goal. He said, listen, I've never been shy my whole life about seeking out for help and mentorship. And it's a big reason why he credited what he had has been able to clearly accomplish. So, man, Mike, this has been awesome. Uh, your website is MikeMooney.com. That's M-O-O, so double O, M-O-O-N-E-Y.com, MikeMooney.com. Um, your book is Reputation Shift. Is there any other way that people can touch with you or contact you, Mike?
1: Sure. So, uh, a couple ways: social media. My handle on Twitter and Instagram is at Mike underscore Mooney, M O O N E Y, uh, as well as my email, Mike at Mike Mooney dot com. Trying to keep it simple, John. You know, yes, yeah, simple's it's, good.
0: <laughs> I like things complex and convoluted, but you know, that's just me personally. <laughs> so, Mike, as as just as we wrap up, what are just some final kind of key thoughts, takeaways for everybody who've been listening in?
1: Oh, man, I would say this. You know, take the time to dig into your values to think about what's authentic to you. And once you get that basis going and that foundation, you know, start thinking about how do I live that out because here's the truth. We are empowered every day when we wake up to make not only choices but to make an impact. And we can make an impact not only on ourselves, but more importantly, on the people around us to actually ignite light in the dark world and help people really believe that there's opportunity and that there's actual growth and, and you can create transformation. It's just you have to come from that special, authentic place that's yours. So take the time to do that. You know, invest that time in you and you'll be amazed at the life that will be there in front of you.
0: Mm, good stuff. That was awesome. Mike, it has been a joy getting to know you. Thanks. John, and you know, you and I are both fans of the need for speed. <laughs> so keep rocking my friend and you are welcome back anytime. And, uh, I look forward to our next conversation. I do as
1: well, John. Thank you so much. And again, thank you for all the work you're doing and inspiring uh, leaders every
0: day. It's awesome. Thank you. All right. Thank you, Mike.